beginning of a journey in which uh, we will try for the next five months to chart our way through this beautiful and wonderful book. Uh, Some of you know that this book is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And if you didn't know that, the same person, Luke, Dr. Luke, penned both accounts, Luke and this book, Acts. So it becomes a sequel to the Gospel of Luke, Luke and Acts. Now, I don't know how many movie buffs there are out there, and so you know that the sequels are always inferior to the originals, right? And so Terminator 2 is not even worth watching I've never watched one or the other, right? However, but you look, when you think about sequels, you think, well, they're probably inferior. That is not the case here with Luke and Acts. What you see here in the Gospel of Luke is the ministry of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the miracles, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And what we see in Acts is a continuation of that ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. What we will see in these pages is the beginning of the church. And we will begin to hear characteristics in the same way that we saw characteristics of Jesus himself. We will see the characteristics of these first Christians. And so it's not inferior at all. Instead, it will embolden us to compare our lives to their lives. We want to be inspired by the first Christians. We will actually see this, and for the first time, they will be known as Christians as they followed after Christ or followed after the way. We will see them endure various trials. We will hear over 20 sermons being preached. At the core of this book is our beginning, because this is the beginning of church history. If you've ever taken a church history class, guess where they start? Here. Acts chapter 1. If you're in high school, uh, I just wanted to forewarn you, uh, this is not going to be a history class, right? So when you're rolling your eyes, just know that this is not going to be a bunch of dry facts and a bunch of charts and a timeline. Don't worry. In fact, it's the total opposite. If you look at the book of Acts, it's not dry and it's not full of charts. Instead, what you will see is movement, motion, advancement. You're going to see things move forward. The title of this sermon series is very, like, uh, you know, ingenious. It's called Acts, right? However, the subtitle, right, has this implication. And the word was multiply. Because that's what we want you to see. We want you to see this word, the word of God, the person and work of Jesus who is the word of God, watching this thing multiply and go forward and advance and move. What you need to know in this first sermon of this great book is that this is a turning point in history. This is a turning point. Something has happened and something new will begin. This book of Acts is pivotal in all of redemptive history. A guy's name, we're going to actually use two resources, so if you want to know and follow along, we're going to be reading two major books, one by Tony Morita and the other by this guy. His name is Michael Green. And so if you want us to uh, give you those links, we'll be glad to send that to you. But this is what Michael Green says. He's British, so he uses words that are 
a little bit different from us. But he says, from the years 33, and that's when Jesus ascends, all the way to the mid-60s, somewhere around 64, 65, 66, in this period, these 30 years of the early church, he says, the indelible impact. Again, he's British. He uses words like indelible. The early church had an indelible impact, not just on history, but on civilization as a, as a whole, on culture, on education, on medicine, and on, free, uh, on freedom. And of course, the lives of everyone listening in this room right now. We are literally living in wake of what happens in this generation. In 30 short years, from the mid-30s to the mid-60s, something has happened. And what is that? Just for a mind experiment, what if we took the book of Acts out of the Bible and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you go straight to the first pages of the book of Romans. And so what you read at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that Jesus has died on the cross, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And then you flip a page, and what do you see? Is that the gospel ends up in Rome, hundreds if not thousands of miles away. And the question that we would all ask inductively is, how did it get from this tiny little sect of people, these Galilean hillbillies, how did it end up go from there to the literal center of the world? Well, that happened, and it happened in 30 short years, in one generation, and the implication of that answer, of how it jumped, or how it moved, is the book of Acts. This is the greatest, great awakening that, the, that human history has ever seen. It has changed us forever. And it happened with a group of people about this size, about 120 people a local church of gathered ones, an assembly of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and put on mission for Him. And in 30 short years, hiding away, right, in a room, waiting as Jesus has instructed us, no education, no cultural prowess, nothing. And here we are in the book of Acts. O Theophilus, here in the center of all humanity in Rome, he's asking the question, how in the world did the gospel message end up in, on my land? On my land. And so Acts is exciting. And I want us to just dive in with just, just full rigor. Because I think that after the next four or five months that we travel along, I think that we will change. Because I want us to be rooted in history. I want us to know where our beginnings are. But I know, want you to know that Jesus has ascended. And he is now in heaven. And he's empowering lowly people like you and me to do something extravagant. And so the pages that we will read are people just like us. So take a journal, scarred up, circle words, underline them. Do whatever you can to engage with this story because this is our story. The core of Christianity, right, the core of Christianity is that it is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. 
Because in Acts chapter 1, what we see is this, this Jesus. And a little word, look in verse 1, this little word. Now I want you to know, o Theophilus, of what, and remind you, o Theophilus, of the things that began, in what Jesus began to both to teach and to do. And with this wonderful little word, what Jesus began. It's the realization that what he started, he will finish. He will build the church and he continues to build the church. What we see in the pages of Acts is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He began it and he continues. He ascends, he doesn't die. And there he is, reigning and ruling to the right hand of the Father, completely sovereign over all things. And he continues to see this church that should not have survived 30 days, much less 30 years, much less 30 generations, over and over and over again. The founder of every other religion, as great as they were, he or she, they simply stopped doing what they were awesome at doing. With their death, it just stopped. But with Jesus, he's saying something very different. He's actually saying the opposite. I'm just now beginning. It is just now begun. Remember in John 6, he says that um, I've got to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to give you a counselor. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. Or then he says something even stronger in Matthew. He says that when I go away, you, and he looks at peasants you know, people with no education, no clout whatsoever, you are going to do greater things than me. We are mystified by that fact because Jesus, rooted in history, now multiplies himself through the people that he empowers. And he says, you are now what I'm going to use. You are going to continue to go on. So Jesus' movement, this movement of Christianity, it's wild and wonderful, and good, and personal. In the first chapter of, of Acts, you get two major pronouns. Me and my, Jesus talking about himself, and you. A plural reality that you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to be the continuation. Jesus ascends so that he can be ever-present. And the millions, maybe even billions of us who are empowered with the Holy Spirit today. He is present in us. So the theology of ascension is less about him going away and sitting at the right hand of the Father. The theology of the ascension is this gift or the passing of this mission of God to us. I'm telling you, it's going to be crazy. All right, so let's get uh, let's get some let's get dive into the text. It's pretty simple. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dwelt with you all the or, uh, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All right, so this is just verse one. You need to understand a couple things. One, who is Theophilus? Who is I? And what is he dealing with? So in this first book, we've already talked about it. It's Luke and Acts. It's it's almost one document together, and Luke is penning both of them. Right, And so he, we know that Luke is a doctor. We know that he is very well educated because the Greek is, is wonderful. We know he's pretty well traveled. Right, We know that he has an eye for detail. 
because he gives us details that the other Gospels do not give us. We know this about Luke, but what about Theophilus? Who is this guy? Well, if you turn to the very first chapter of the book of or the Gospel of Luke, what do you see? You see this guy's name pop up again. Oh, most honorable Theophilus. So here's Theophilus. We don't know if he's an unbeliever. We don't know if he's a believer. We don't know if he's a seeker. We don't know anything about him other than he has likely written a check. He's likely a benefactor. And he says, I want you to get to the bottom of some questions that I have. The first question in the Gospel of Luke is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? I want to know for sure. And so eyewitness account after eyewitness account, the Gospel of Luke are all of these stories that answers that one question. Who is Jesus? Now we have a second book and another question that Theophilus wants us to get to the bottom of, or actually Luke to get to the bottom of. How did that message, that good news, how did Jesus end up in my lap or on my front doorstep? How did it go from something small to me, most honorable Theophilus, who is likely a Roman citizen? How did that happen? And so Luke did what he did in the first book. He goes and he gets eyewitnesses and he charts some things and he tracks down uh, all types of stories. He begins to travel with Paul and he goes from different continents to different continents and cities. He was able to get reports and data And in just the sovereignty of God, with the brain that God gave him, he's allowed to give us two wonderful accounts, Luke and Acts, of all the things that Jesus and the things that the first church did for us. This is what we have. We have something that is pure and good. And it is good for us to know that Luke is good at his job. We know that uh, Theophilus asked him, hey, just go get all of the details. Be a great investigator. And it's good for us to know that Luke was really good at his job. Investigation, um, I don't know much about. But if you're in the podcast world these days, guess what? All of these new podcasts are these independent journalists trying to get to the bottom of things. And they're pretty good at trying to answer some hard questions. You remember the probably the, the, the best investigation of the last 20 years Of course, uh, this is the Iraq War and WMDs. This idea, what is a weapon of mass destruction? So we flooded the entire world with, where are these things? And we never found them. But somebody smart and someone with just this, this power to move forward, they were able to do that and do it in a strong way and get to the bottom of things. Have you ever wanted to get to the bottom of something? And to know for sure, like without a shadow of a doubt, no question, like crystal clear. I mean, that's what I want. And Luke, with his brilliance, both answering question one and question two, gives that to us. The closest thing that I know that I can is this uh, this great um, story that of our family where there was a mystery upon mystery. And of course, it involves the kids doing something incredibly disobedient, which happens to do with a spigot in the backyard. Now, you don't go to your backyards, right, very often. And so when you go to your backyards and you find something that you're unaware of, 
you're, you get kind of upset with these children of mine. And so there's a spigot that you never touch, right? You just never use. But for whatever reason, that spigot was on and dripping. And for days, maybe months of dripping, you now have a muddy mess. And so these kids, I mean, they're so young. They're probably, the oldest is maybe 12 or 13. And what do I do? As a great father, I show no patience whatsoever. I simply throw my hands up and be like, which one of you has done this? Oh, starting with the oldest to the youngest, the guys maybe six months, they're all nodding like, no, me did, not me. So maybe the first time, no big deal. The second time, you're like, y'all, it's one of you. Now you're not just irresponsible, now you're lying to your dad, right? I don't know if number one is a sin, but number two, definitely stop lying to your dad. The third time, I am just like lining them up, like I'm not moving until there's an answer. None of them confess. I'm like, Nicole, what are we going to do with these children? We have prided ourselves on like, like raising good, wonderful people that will at least tell the truth, right? And none of them did. I'm in my office, right? And I hear like um, the spigot kind of squeak. That's one thing that you never WD-40 is a spigot. And it comes through the lines. And so I hear it. I'm like, I got him. I got him. So I run through my office. I pull the blinds. I unlock the the, uh, window. I throw it up and I point my finger and I say, I gotcha. And at the barrel of my finger were none of my six children but instead a slobbery bulldog named Athens. My dog had learned to turn on the water himself with his mouth. He just looked up at me like, what? I'm thirsty. So on that day, everything snaps into order. Like, well, now I know. I've got a brilliant dog. And my kids don't lie to me. I mean, it was a win-win for everybody. So Theophilus, right, is Spencer in the story. He's just like cringing, like, what happened? And Luke, with painstaking detail, he gives this to Theophilus. Luke pens one-fifth of the New Testament. He pens two of the longest letters in the New Testament. This guy went to painstaking like detail to make sure that this person knew that who Jesus is and how the gospel moved forward. And it was wonderful. So how Luke starts his gospel of Acts, the good news of Christianity, should bring great solace to us. He starts with Jesus. He starts with who we are as a people group. We are rooted in Jesus Christ. There is no Christianity without Christ. And so he starts with some more of Jesus' teaching. We see that Jesus is, is gathering people up to tell them what is next. We see him do something supernatural in ascending into heaven. We see that the heavenlies, the same two men robed in white that was at his grave or at the tomb is now here with the early church all as confirmation that this thing whatever it is is starting with jesus christ i read 11 verses 10 out of the 11 verses mention jesus either by name or pronoun this is about him christianity and christ are inseparable this is what we have 
he is establishing, what Jesus is establishing is witnesses watching, putting their eyeballs on Jesus and Jesus alone. We are rooted and founded on Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is not just, Christianity is not just a set of belief systems, and I know that makes some of you nervous. It's more than just a statement of faith. It's more than just a philosophy of ministry, right? All those things are good, but the essence, the root of Christianity is Jesus. It's the Christ, the Messiah himself. If Jesus Christ did not exist, Christianity would not exist. We would have died with the death of our founder in a generation or two. But here we are, 2,000 years later, some guy strapped with a microphone, you guys with your Bibles, still listening and being inspired by the work of Jesus Christ himself. He's reigning, he's ruling, he's sovereign over all times. It's rooted there in Jesus. You cannot separate the two. And so what did he tell us? What did he tell us in these simple first verses? And he says, you. I want to read verse 8. You. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ says, I'm about to go. And I'm about to send you the Holy Spirit. And the stake in the ground, the billboard on the highway, the stories that we're going to tell, you will tell. Over and over and over again. That's what a witness is. That's why he's standing in front of because they wanted he wanted his eyeballs on their eyeballs on him. So that they could say, no, 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 I was there. And when they were there, transferred to Luke, who says, are you sure you were there? And looked with great investigative rigor to say, are you sure you were there to make sure that all of these accounts lined up? And he says, what will happen is that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. You will receive power. Resurrection power. The Spirit of Christ Jesus now living in us power. The proclamation that we hear is Christ's power through Him over and over and over again. It's not an outdated myth. It's not just something that is romantic. It it is historical and empirical by every stretch of the imagination. You're going to get a lot of a guy named Tom Holland over the next five months. Not Tom Holland, the actor. He's not the, the teen throb. Not that guy, right? Sorry, teenagers. Uh, not to, that Tom Holland. But the historian Tom Holland. He's penned a book, 600 pages, and it's simply called Dominion. What a, what a great title, right? And it's my job to try to get through that book for us. Tom Holland has no real kind of stake in the game other than to prove this point that Christianity changed the world. He has no, nothing, to, nothing in the game. He would barely even consider himself a believer. But historically, he wants you and I to know that here we are 2,000 years later and something has changed. We're not Romans. 
Instead, we're something else. Even if we're not blood-bought believers of Jesus, the culture, this wave of Christianity has influenced all of us that we cannot separate the two. Because what we have is what Acts 1-8 tells us is some global expansion. We see it grow and move. And it just continues to move on so that it arrives here in East Tennessee and you're all sitting here learning about it. That's impossible unless it was first prophesied by Jesus Christ. An unfulfilled prophecy, that's how Jesus leaves planet Earth. Acts 1.8 is a prophecy that is unfulfilled. He says, by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to come when he comes, it's going to go from here to here and from here to here and from here to there. That's what it's going to do. And then he leaves. It hadn't happened. And yet, here we are. On the outer rings of the world, still proclaiming the book and the, and the work of Jesus. I want you to do me a favor. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts 29. Uh, Acts 29 is um, the network that we are um, don't, don't stop, stop turning, stop turning, stop turning, stop turning, stop turning, stop turning. Acts 29 is the church planting uh, network that we are um, all a part of. And that's because the book of Acts ends in chapter 28. The reason for that is because there's still a mission to be had. There's still a frontier to go into. It's still expansive. And so when you visit a shut-in, when you go to a rehab center, when you go to a prison, when you serve a meal, when you befriend a neighbor, when you enjoy somebody's company that you don't get along with, when you share the gospel, when you become a witness, you become a fulfillment of what we see in Acts 1-8. That you, empowered through the Holy Spirit, continue to go on and on and on again. So there's three times that we see the word multiplied in the, in the book of Acts. Chapter 6, chapter 9, and then in chapter 12. And in these three times, we see this idea of multiplication so, fellas, let me see this, this slide here. What I want you to see is that there's just a progression. And you can see the concentric circle uh, circles continue to grow even throughout the book of Acts. In 6-7 it says, And then the word continued to increase, and the disciples were multiplied. And then another sphere, you see it again in 9, that the church was, oh, guess what? We're in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Oh, we were at another ring of uh, Acts 1-8. And out of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And then again in 12, you see, and the word of God increased and was multiplied. This thing, whatever it is, is far from a history lesson. This is a continuation of what we see in Jesus. In 30 short years, we see it grow. So this is a map of our new church building. And we don't really have 
concentric circles yet. But we believe strategically God has put us here, in this now, on this place, right here and now, for this time, for this series, the book of Acts. Because we don't know who is on the other end of our witness. Before we take communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, the thing that I want you to contemplate is, what have you seen Jesus do? Because that's all a witness is. An eyewitness just sees Jesus do something remarkable. But in, inevitably, that person, that eyewitness, tells someone else. The very last verse, the 28th chapter of Acts, uses the word boldness. Boldness and power are two synonyms in that what we have at our mission is not going to be easy. It's not even going to be natural. We're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. Let me pray for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we consider you and you alone. That we see you do a great work through us. Thank you for giving us the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that even now, that as we consider you, that we'll just question our words. Have we been too silent about you? Or has our, been, has our proclamation been bold? And so in just a, just a few minutes, just to consider you as an eyewitness, what have you seen Jesus do in your life? What story can you tell? Dear Father, please forgive us. Forgive us not for not living in light of this, not seeing just the power of our little insignificant life that is filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore given power to be able to see the world changed. I pray that over the next five months this is what you will do in us and for us. Help us to journal how we've seen you move and help us to be anxious to share our story with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Jesus Christ is at the center of who we are. And Jesus Christ's very first sermon actually comes from Isaiah 61 in which he goes to the front and he picks up a scroll of Isaiah and he rolls it out. And this is what he gives to those who are gathered. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To also proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn. To give them Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of their ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that He has come to set the captives free and to also proclaim the year, the favor of the Lord. And He does this through these two images. The night that He was betrayed, He comes to a piece of bread And he says, this is my body broken for you. And so do you want the favor of the Lord? It actually has to come through me. But not this me. This me. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you in this direction. My teachings and my miracles were amazing. You saw wonderful things, but this is the gift that you need. This is where the favor of the Lord is given in this gift to all humanity. And so prisoners, take this. Captives, take this. And then in another symbol, he takes a chalice of wine. You know, that one of gladness and oil and goodness and favor and all those things. And he changes it again. He says, this is my blood. And then he says, pour it out for you. Not just to be consumed, but poured out for you a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. The things that have separated us from God has actually been made whole in the person of Jesus Christ. And now, brothers and sisters, if you are filled with this Holy Spirit and the power of Christ Jesus Himself, the resurrected one, is living in you, this is how He wants us to be remembered. Because this is how we now walk through the world. That our sacrifice and our gift, that's what grace is, is a gift. And so let us partake of the elements this morning. Let us come with gladness and joy of what He has done. But also let's come as warriors infused with the power of the Holy Spirit that this is a story worth telling. Amen? So go ahead and stand. Um, again, communion has been a little bit um, uh, just hard to explain. So we've given you a map, right? Thinking of history lessons, we're, we're going to give you a map on how to just kind of filter in. But I think the kind of the easiest way.